Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for truth that sets us free, Father, and thank you for giving us this moment in time, this precious moment to fellowship together, to break bread, the very bread of life that is the Word of God. Father, thank you for showing us your patience, your mercy, your grace, and of course your love, for it is unerring, as is your faithfulness to us, even though we are at times faithless. Father, we pray for those that are ill in the congregation for their healing, that you might bring them back to us. Your will be done, of course, and your timing. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, that before it's too late, that you humble them and that they receive saving faith. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a time of rejoicing. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. I want to share, uh, most of you know the name Joshua Mokua down in Africa. Uh, he's just a faithful encourager of this ministry, of me personally. Um, he received this last week's uh, newsletter, of course, and he said, thanks a lot. This is him speaking. In Africa... You can easily tell a dog which steals and kills uh, chickens. Whenever it spots a person, it runs away, thinking that it is going to be beaten. It has no confidence at all. Our confidence is in the Lord, our God, the creator of the universe. There are two options only, one belonging to God and one belonging to Satan. There are only two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, commonly called the kingdom of darkness. With our freedom, we choose where to belong. God has always brought to our consciousness these things. The law of God makes sin pragmatic and impossible for us to keep. The only option left is for us to fit in God's design, accepting the offer. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If a house catches fire and there is a way to evacuate, any normal human being will seek that door of escape. When the house is down, you cannot repossess the same house. Once we become Christians, the Spirit of God in us will keep reminding us that we do not belong to the kingdom of darkness. I am grateful to go through the very updates this year and pray for you as we eagerly await the year of 2019, or excuse me, from 2019 to 2020, with hopes that we are going to be even closer than we have ever been before. Your brother in Christ, Joshua Mokua, and he gives me scripture, Job 36.10. Go there, go to Job 36 verse 10. I'm just sharing. Hopefully you're encouraged. Wonderful man of God. Faithful man of God. 
Job 36, verse 10. Thirty-six ten. He opens their ears to instruction and commands that they return from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they complete their days in prosperity and their years in pleasantness. But if they do not listen, they perish by the sword and die without knowledge. The godless in heart cherish anger. They do not cry excuse me, for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life ends among the cult prostitutes. He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. Joshua is one of those individuals that inspires me personally to a very high degree. And I wish he were, I was thinking about him because I wish he were here that time I went around the room and shared how each of you inspire me personally as well. Not that it matters, but you want someone like that to be encouraged. Uh, like I think it's Romans 1.12, encouraged by each other's faith. Just knowing there's an individual somewhere on the other side of the planet praying for me in this congregation who takes the time out of his schedule to encourage me in the congregation more frequently than almost anybody here and he's on the other side of the planet. And so I think it's um, inspiring, and I hope you're all inspired as well to hear from that individual. All right, let's dig in. Last Sunday, we were given a Christmas special, short and sweet, and I was thinking about that as well, and hopefully you all did too. I really enjoyed this past Christmas here at North Christian Church. I think because we all seemed more at rest. It seemed just a restful time. Uh, and that's not always the case. More even family-like than ever. That's not always the case. I think of how the kingdom of darkness has been on overdrive this year in trying to use the tares to disrupt the wheat. But we just keep pushing forward. Looking back on this year, I'm not going to suppose that some haven't been led astray for a time. Happens to the best of us. I think that would be dishonest, supposing such a thing, given the fact that some members, even now, are currently MIA and may even need to be sadly disenrolled from membership at some point this year. I have to do it to protect the flock. Just so you know what I'm talking about when I do that, how those decisions are made. When you become a member here, you sign on as a family member. You say, I'm going to be here whenever possible, and I'm going to support the ministry even, even financially, not just with your presence, but like any good family member would be willing to do. If you're a guest, dis disregard what I'm saying right now. It has nothing to do with you. But if you consider yourself a member here, it means you're a member. It means this is your church. The mortgage here is your mortgage. 
The salaries are your salaries. Do you understand what I'm saying? The encouragement is your encouragement to give. I often get a kick out of that, and I don't want to go negative so early, but it's just, you know, New Year thinking. Right? What about everybody else? What does the Bible say about gathering together? For the sake of what? Encouragement. For as long as it's called today, you gather together for the sake of encouragement. And so that's what it means to be a member. It means to be a member of the whole family, you see. And so if someone decides they want to be a member, I always put them through six months to a year before I even allow it. And a lot of people just want to play this game and say, I'm a member of this church. But if you go through the rigmarole, I also give you a sheet. Just, I'm just explaining this because I haven't explained it in a while. I also give you a sheet that says, here's what it means to be a member at North Christian Church. And in there it says things like, you will make it here, you will support the ministry, you will boom, 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 boom. So if you stop doing those things for a time, I have to make a judgment call. And I have to say, well, you're no longer acting like a member. So if you're not acting like a member, I have to disenroll you. You know what I'm saying? There are other reasons, too. If you go and do some things that are just way outside of, you know, biblical living, I also have the ability and the right to do that. So I guess pray for those people that are MIA, that they return. Um, But anyways, those who have chosen to remain... To those who have gone the spoils of being active members of the body of Christ. And that's what I saw this year at Christmas. I saw probably a smaller group than last Christmas, or maybe even the Christmas before. But I saw active members. I saw a purity that surpassed uh, previous gatherings. And it was, it was very good. Go to Revelation 3.1. Revelation 3, verse 1. It's a privilege to be a member here, not a, not a given. Revelation 3, 1. <clears throat> Revelation 3, 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Very interesting. You have the reputation of being alive. And we've done some work on that in the past, right? How individuals often will bolster their reputation in a church for the sake of the reputation. In other words, they come to church for the sake of coming to church. It's a checkbox. It's a, I'm doing this good thing. Does everybody see me doing this good thing? And maybe just, maybe they're on a religious treadmill and they say, well, God will be pleased, therefore he'll let me into heaven. All of that is garbage. Your reputation means nothing except what it means to God. And God sees the heart. So if you're here for the wrong reasons or your reasons are misguided, 
Um, God sees it. You should know that. It's not about what it looks like when you come here. It's about what's going on in your soul. That's what God sees. And so this was Sardis. There was a group. Remember, these are churches. So they're generic messages to churches. And in every church, there are believers and unbelievers. Right? And so this message was from the Lord, penned by John. Say this to the church at Sardis, because this is what's going on in this particular church at this point in history. It says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Ow. Ow. So what does he say? Verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Before you lose the whole church, in other words. Wake up. Strengthen the things that matter. Strengthen the things that remain. So remember, the Lord is speaking to an entire church, not just an individual. Individuals are in you, but it's a conversation to a church. A church that looked the part, but was dead. For I have, found, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will not, never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And for the sake of context up here on the board, again, what about Sardis? This is sort of a summary. It had a lifeless profession. Just like a lot of Christians, sadly, today. Are you a Christian? I am. But your life is filled with everything but Christianity, proper. Everything but the fruit of the Spirit. You say you're a Christian, but your life speaks volumes. Jesus said, you shall know them by their what? Fruit. We should be able to look in the mirror and say, what about my fruit? Do I have a real problem? Am I just a phony? Do I go to church for the wrong reason? God's not fooled, ever. Just like he just said, I know what your reputation is, but you're dead. I know you have a nice little church. I like little religious gathering, but it's dead. Hmm. So this church at Sardis had a lifeless profession. It enjoyed a reputation, but it wasn't genuine. Rather, it was religious, like so many churches today are. Many churches are deemed acceptable because they look the part, but they are lacking the supernatural substance. That's the message. That's the point. So think about this. The Bible often reminds us where our hearts need to be because God sees the heart and there's no fooling God. And so, thankfully, the Bible reminds us. Basically, I'm watching. I see what's going on. I see your motivation. Um, this needs to be addressed. This needs to be 
encouraged. This needs to be discouraged. This is what the Word does for us. The Bible reminds us of where our hearts need to be. It's easy during this time of year to allow our affections to become misguided by all the temporary displays of earthly love. It's easy. You know, we run into all kinds of people, family members that we haven't seen in a while, and there's all this kind of love, uh, this earthly kind of love that is distracting sometimes, and our affections can become misguided. For the most part, this world celebrates Christmas. And remember, this is the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not a small thing. Christmas is way beyond Thanksgiving. But for the most part, this world celebrates Christmas the way it celebrates a good meal. Once the meal is over and people stop talking about how good it was this year, the memories fade and people go right back to the grind of daily life. And for the most part, that life is void of any real relationship with Christ. But here's the thing. <clears throat> I've been giving this a lot of thought. <clears throat> we believers in Christ have a higher calling. I'm going to just let you sit on that. We believers in Christ have a higher calling. I'm not talking about the average Christian that's just professing like at the church of Sardis, but it's really dead. I'm talking about believers. Born again and saved believers. We have a higher calling. I was having a good conversation with my son Joey over lunch yesterday about this higher calling. And given the fact that he and Andrea are about to become parents, I'm just using this as an, ex as an example, they have to accept what it means to be given that privilege in Christ. And that the worst thing they can do is take the lead from the world. It's literally the very worst thing they can do is look to the left and look to the right and say, well, how's everybody else doing it? Believer parents are held to a much higher standard. Not by me. This is biblically. They are held to a much higher standard biblically. So my counsel to Joey was to be very careful. They don't say something destructive to their, new, their newborn baby's life like, well, that's how everyone else is raising their kids. So that might just be the worst possible statement to ever come out of a believer parent's mouth. Well, that's how everybody else is raising their kids. So, and you fill in the blanks. Having a higher calling means accepting what the Bible has to say about every aspect of life. What the Bible has to say. And by the way, I'm not singling out Joey and Andrea, nor parenting. It's just an example. It's a good one. But I do ask this congregation's prayers for them. That they make sound biblical choices over the next few months especially. Being a new parent is tough. And you're gonna get they get when you're a new parent, you get advice from everyone. And if you're not surrounded by believers, like-minded believers, people that understand the word of God, you're gonna get all kinds of crazy advice 
And you know what? It's bad. And your friends and your relatives are going to tell you, this is how you raise a kid. And if you don't consult the Bible, you're going to mess the whole thing up and you're going to pay dearly for it. Andrea's like, oh my God. It's a fact. Parenting is one perfect example. Because of the responsibility, because of the calling, it's a huge responsibility. And kids, you don't get a, you don't get a rewind, right, parents? You don't get a rewind. You don't get to go, oh, crap, I learned out when they were 20. I should have done this when they were 2. You don't get a rewind. You get one shot. The best shot is the Bible. Not Dr. Spock, not your neighbors, not even your parents, because a lot of your parents are screwed up. Right? Not your friends, because most of your friends are worldly. Most of our families, let's face it, are they biblical? Probably not. I happen to be extremely lucky to have so much family in this church. But that's unbelievably rare nowadays. So it's about sound biblical choices. Again, the point is that this world celebrates Christmas the way it celebrates a good meal. However, clinging to this higher calling, we must remember the Bible reminds us constantly, and you'd know this if you read your Bible daily, that we ought to keep our focus. Go to Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians 5.1 is just the, like Joshua and McCoo were saying. This world is just designed, this kingdom of darkness is just designed to take us away, to divert our attention. And you know how that starts. The, the world has your attention. You spend any time in the world, it's very seductive, and the next thing you know, it has your affections. If it has your affections, now you've got a problem, right? Because now you have an emotional attachment to whatever it is that it seduced you with, right? Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Remember, God sees the heart. Right? You can have a lot of that stuff going on in your, between your two ears, and God sees all of it. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. You see what that is? Do not become partners. Don't, don't share the same system of thinking with the world. Don't even give them space. It's like I was just describing. We have a higher calling. We cannot, we're always here. And this isn't being snobby. This is where we're at, right? 
The Bible tells us we're royalty. We don't lower our standards to play in the sandbox with a bunch of grubby, worldly people. Does that make sense? We're considered royalty. If we're children of God, we've been adopted into His family, and it's royalty. We're to step up. We're not supposed to be partners with people that are literally in the muck, in the mire. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You hear that? Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's my point about biblical living. Figure out from the Bible what is pleasing to the Lord. Not your neighbors, not your family, not your friends. What does the Bible say? Hmm. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And this is a gospel call. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. What a sweeping statement, huh? Verse 16, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. No stone is left unturned with this statement, because our entire existence here on earth is enveloped by time. In other words, it's a supremely efficient way for the God, for God the Holy Spirit to say, all of you, all your life, all things. That's it. It's just a really efficient way. Make the best use of, of time. Because that's what you have. And that's just another way of saying everything you've got, be all in. Again, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. As we noted last Sunday, go to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. We noted this last Sunday at the, on, uh, during the Christmas special. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. Very simple. We don't have to read much further than this. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. Yeah. For everything there is a season. Make the most of your time. Because the days are evil. Synthesize that with Ecclesiastes 3.1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. I think what the Spirit's saying is simply that Christmas season isn't a time to just sit back and forget about life for a while, the way, you know, Billy Joel would sing it. Rather, it's a time for deep introspection. 
a time to remember, a time to rejoice in the simple fact that you've been saved by the one who willingly died for you in your place. Go to Romans 5, verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. Someone who was born to die for you. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I have to wonder, as do some of you, I'm sure, how many so-called Christians celebrated this way this year? How many were grateful for what we just read in Romans 5. Just remembering how wretched we were born. How hopeless and helpless we were. And how much he did and how much he accomplished for us on the cross. I wonder, I honestly wonder that. I wonder how many weren't swept away by all the white noise and the distractions I know that I know that some that weren't were right here last Saturday night and Sunday morning, singing as unto the Lord. 
I know that. And you guys sounded good, by the way. Please don't misinterpret my intention here this morning. This isn't about throwing stones at others. As much as it is a setting of the background for our worship here at North Christian Church. That's what it is. We have it so often we have to step back and go, darn it, it's ugly out there. Man, there's a lot of potholes. There's a lot of trappings. Man, the kingdom of darkness, you know what? It never sleeps. It's always on full-on seduction mode. Which is why the Bible uses seductiveness the way it does to describe sin. It's full on, always. So we can't sleep. Given the back pressure of this geographic location that we live in, and given the fact that it is predominantly professing Christianity, it predominantly professes Christianity, you could pretty much go to any local mall and say, are you a Christian? And most people would say, yeah, you'd probably get a pretty good hit rate. I'm Christian. Yeah? What, do you, what about that? What, why do you say that? What about Jesus? I believe in him. Yeah, so do the demons. So do the demons. They just didn't like to come in contact with him. Hey, what do you want with us? Remember? Remember that scene? Just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're saved. That's a big distinction and I think a lot of Christians don't understand. Professing ones, that is. Ones that play the part, but are dead. Like Sardis. So we live in this area where we have a lot of professing Christians. Um, but there's something missing. Something huge. Something massive. So it makes sense that the Spirit opened up this point of reflection this morning up here on the board. Revelation 3, 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Just as a side note, remember the Lord is speaking to an entire church, not an individual. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So wake up. Here's a perfect example of the manifestation of what the Spirit's been trying to encourage in each one of us up here on the board. Can you see it? That's Scott and Jim, in case you couldn't tell by the height. Uh, it's shortest and tallest possibly. Except, oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Mrs. Grande. <laughs> she would be around the sign. Look at she's not laughing. See, I told Scott every time I'd make a joke, she don't laugh. Okay, you can fake it now. She's like, oh, yeah. You're so funny. Anyways, they got tracks. Scott's got a bunch of 400 tracks, right? At the La Salette Shrine. It's like the Mecca of Catholicism, right? And there's Big Jim for for a backup, right? Jim, you, oh, Jim's not here. Anyways, that's what it looks like. Think about that for a moment. Most of you are like, ah, oh, man, I could never do that. Hand out 400 tracks at La Salette Shrine around Christmas time when people are crawling upstairs and praying to the wrong God. The Spirit says differently, though. Oh, I could never do that. The Spirit says differently. It's true. Standing in the midst of a bunch of misguided and lost Catholics is like standing in the lion's den. But there they stand. There they stood. What does it require? 
confidence for the record so you don't get all itchy twitchy on me I don't think that every Catholic ever born is not saved I think despite Catholicism some Catholics are saved but if they believe their own doctrines that is an impossibility because they teach a different gospel their gospel involves being good enough to get to heaven and if you don't get there you go to this little ridiculous place called purgatory where hopefully Uncle Jimmy prays you out of in a few years because it's, it's meh it's not hell but it's not heaven you're like meh where the hell does that even come from do you know how grotesque that is do you know what an indictment that is do you know what a disgusting display that is against the cross what about the cross either it was finished or it wasn't finished people you don't have to be good enough to get to heaven. Christ made sure of that. Anyways. How do they do that? How do they have that kind of confidence to stand in the middle of all of that? Well, what's our message title? The Lord is our confidence. That's a good transition back to our mainstream studies. The Spirit's been closing out the series now for some time and just uh, reflecting on that I always find it interesting when he takes his time because I've been saying that probably for 10 parts right well we're heading out of the mine shaft we're finishing up this series maybe even 15 parts ago and I always find it interesting when he takes his time not just in teaching the series but in closing it out as well it means that there's a lot of synthesizing that must be done here. A lot. It means that we need to take pause and consider all the incredible truths that have been set before us in this series to date. It also means that he's saying to each one of you, each one of you as individuals, do not dismiss this extra time I'm giving you here as a free pass to start thinking the way you did back in grade school right this isn't recess getting time off to celebrate Christmas this year maybe from work or just you know just taking a pause this isn't recess we're not in grade school this is a real time for you to be able to sit back and ponder the the magnitude of what he did for us for you personally now is actually the time to really take this moment to step back and connect the dots in your minds to have your minds truly transformed go to Romans 12 verse 2 Romans 12 verse 2 Romans 12 verse 2 it just made me think of harken back to my original point about a higher calling right if you think about the world if you if you buy into the world what do they say Ooh, yeah, I got a week off from work. Time to party. Right? And they put on their Billy Joel music, right? And, not, and it's just, you know, it's time to let loose. You moron. You just literally jumped in the same boat as a bunch of unbelievers who have nothing for Christ, no affection whatsoever. Maybe it's feigned. Maybe they go on Easter and Christmas. You know, you know the type. Might be feigned. And it might give you that sort of pass, like nobody's going to say anything because my buddy over here is a Christian. We're, both, we're just a ship of fools. You just jumped right into the boat. That's not accepting the higher calling. That's looking for an excuse. That's like the kid who runs out of elementary school out in the playground. Recess! 
When we're given that kind of recess, that kind of a break in our soul, that's the time where we settle in. That's when we take our time to contemplate. That's when we fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit. That's when we pray. That's when we read our Bibles. That's when we get truly rejuvenated. A bottle isn't going to do it. <gasps> Neither is a joint. Neither is a cigarette. Neither is any other kind of whatever self-medicating you choose to do. It's the Word of God. In the Word, there's life. Not in a bottle, not in a joint. Got it? In the Word, there is life. A bottle doesn't transform you in, except into a jackass. And this, a stoner. Right? Am I offending anybody? Too bad. This is the absolute truth in the Word of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you need any form of any of that to make it in this world. Nowhere. If you buy the lie, guess what? You're jumping in the ship of fools. And instead of being transformed by truth, you're transformed by lies. I know it's hard. I know everybody's like, geez, man, I thought you was like Christmas spirit. This is Christmas spirit. I'm defending my Lord. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at a warrior standing up for his Lord, saying, hey, I don't, I don't like the crap that I see in this world. I don't like the lies. I don't like seeing my own sheep jump into a ship with a bunch of morons and then sail off and say, well, this is how everybody else is doing it. I don't like to see that. I get really angry, indignant. I don't like to think about that stuff. I don't like to think that you need crutches to get through another day. I don't like that you feel depressed because you haven't been in your word of God. I don't like the fact that you can't even look me in the eye anymore because you haven't been taken in the word of God. I don't like that. It means that you're being distracted. It means you're being drawn away. It means that you're a suspect. It means you need to wake up. So yeah, you do see a little indignation. Why? Because I'm fighting tooth and nail for you guys. Sometimes I think I fight harder than you do for yourselves. And that sucks. Anyways, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Any questions? Do not be conformed to this world. Take that statement, everybody else is doing it, and throw it in the garbage can. I mean it. Throw it in the garbage can. The next time you catch yourself saying that, stop yourself and go, for lack of a better term, shame on you. The world is designed, do you get it? Designed to take you away from truth. Literally, architected to take you away from truth. So you shouldn't care one iota what the hell anybody else is doing in this world? What does Christ say? How does Christ feel about your life? Honestly, if he was standing right here this day, what would he be saying? Oh, I'm so glad you're going to do it like everybody else. I'm so glad you're going to fold under the pressure of lust and greed and everything else. I'm so glad you're going to do this stuff. You think he would say that? He'd be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's talk about this. What is my plan for you? 
What kind of calling do you think I put on your life? The one you're describing or the one in the Bible? What kind of calling did I put on your life? Well, his spirit authored Romans 12 too. We have a good start, do we not? Or as I say, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be molded into another moron that says, I find my strength in the norms, in the socially accepted norms. I find my strength there. Does it say that? No. It says, don't do that. Don't be conformed to that. That's a nightmare. That's minus all the blessings. That's minus the confidence. But, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's your calling. Be transformed by the word of God, by the renewing of your mind. Take in the word of God. In order to continue with this deliberate good work regarding closing out the series, we need to go back to what has seemed to be the linchpin of the entire learning process. What we've learned through very close scrutiny of Holy Scripture is one thing that must be present for confidence in the Lord to exist up here on the board. Most of you already know what I was going to put up here. Obedience. And you can think back real quickly. There has to be something to obey, right? Remember all those, that good work months ago? There actually has to be something to obey. So if you don't take in the word of God, you don't know what to obey. There has to be an object to obey. Some of you are like, I'll just play a game, never take in the object, so I'll never be convicted. Oh, we're so crafty, aren't we? We're so crafty. I almost said so. I wouldn't do this to you. Someday I might, though. When I get more ornery, I'm still here. I was going to ask all of you, everybody who's read every blog in the last two months, raise your hand. Don't do it. Aren't you glad I didn't? Makes me wonder. Right? Makes me wonder. Just saying. And then you wonder, you're wondering, why was Christmas so stressful? Why was I a little wigged out? Why did I pop out the other side of this thing a little bit less? I don't know. Shouldn't it be better than that? Obedience. That's the problem. What begins at salvation proper with the command to obey the gospel continues throughout our lives as we are commanded to obey the word. Where do you get your wisdom? Where do you get your knowledge from? A television? Ooh. A smartphone? <coughs> the internet? My goodness. The internet is a cesspool. You can't even go to a well-intentioned website without some sexually perverse thing popping up over on the side over here. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And a lot of people spend a lot more time on the internet than in their Bible. So we're commanded to obey the gospel, and then that command continues throughout our lives, and we're commanded to obey the word. And it's the same spirit that convicts us in both situations. Here's some familiar fruit of our labor up to this point up here on the board. 
And I, don't, be, you know, don't be downtrodden by this message. You should be uplifted. You might be saying, oh, man, this is a tough message. Yeah, be uplifted. See what the Spirit's trying to say to you. He's trying to set you free. Some of you are in change right now. Right? Some of you just need a hard sort of, you know, like a ball-peen hammer to smash the chain and set you free from yourself, by the way, from your own wrong thinking, from that vector that you're on, the one that leads you away from the blessings. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I didn't say that. That's Jesus Christ, John 14, 15. Obedience of faith, humility, and meekness all speak to the same thing submission to the lordship of christ my friends this is what love looks like first john 5 3 this gives us perspective especially since the new testament tells us that love is the fulfillment of the whole law and to tie this all back together into one complete thought we quote we quote jesus up here on the board first john 5 3 for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome just, if you're not there, imagine you're there for a moment. Just imagine you're in a place. None of us are here perfectly, but just imagine you're in a place right now. Fast forward, whatever it takes, and say, I am just going to bask for the rest of my life. I'm going to bask in his commandments. I'm going to consider it an absolute, the supreme privilege in my life to follow his lead, to follow him. Like he said, follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I'm going to make that my supreme privilege, just to have the ability to follow him and that be everything that you are. Just put yourself there for a moment. And you love it. And you're secure. Who doesn't want to be wrapped in his arms? Who's a better protector than the great shepherd from the sheep from without? If you're near him, any sheep comes near you, he just takes out his, his rod and whacks the thing and breaks his jaw. That's what the Word of God does in your life, if you're equipped. That's why we read the Bible, so that we can be equipped with the armor of God. Read Ephesians 6. The armor of God, it protects us. Anytime that little, you know, batting eyelashing or whatever, the slinky little scumbag comes into your life and tries to seduce you. Use the word of God. Break his jaw. Break her jaw. Break its jaw. Whatever it is that's trying to seduce you. Find your place right there. Abide in his love. How? Keep his commandments. What's that mean? Obey. Read your Bible. Have the object for said obedience. And when you start living in that, I call it an ecosystem, whatever, right? When you start living in that ecosystem, things get a lot easier and a lot calmer, a lot less anxiety, a lot less fear. Some of you can't even go out on your own without being anxious. All those things, you're, you're covered, you understand? You're covered. If you shed the word of God, you are now uncovered. Remember in duo? put on the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think he's talking about? Jesus Christ is in a suit. You take this. You put this on. You wear this for protection. You wear this for, con for confidence. You wear this for encouragement. This is where you find it all. All in, people. All in. Stop listening to your neighbors and your stupid parents 
and your stupid friends and your, these ridiculous people who are trying to draw you away from the one person that actually loves you more than anybody else, hands down, not even close. Yeah. And then you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll know what the Spirit's trying to say this morning. Saying, this is where you're protected. This is where I built you to be. I designed you to be fellowshipping with me, always. That's heaven, right? When all this is said and done, when all the white noise and the garbage is gone, isn't that ultimate sanctification? We call it ultimate sanctification? Yeah. Well, sanctification is going in that direction. So the pinnacle, if that's the pinnacle, don't you think we should be moving in that direction? Isn't that God's design for us? To get to that point so we can experience some of heaven on earth today? Yeah. I like what the Spirit brought out last time. We pondered this verse, and in particular the concept of not burdensome. It's like a mother who gets up with her child to soothe him or her, or to, say, breastfeed him or her. Ask any woman who's breastfed a baby. It's not comfortable when they chomp down, right? From what I understand, especially in the beginning. But the woman endures it out of love because they want their baby to be well-nourished and healthy. So that's a perfect example. It's not burdensome to do something out of love. It may hurt, but it's not burdensome to do that thing out of love. And don't get all convicted if you, I, I didn't buy bottle fell. Stop. Stop thinking about you, you selfish people, right? Um, it's an example, right? You get your nipple bit down on by some savage little baby, it hurts. You get it? Right? Okay, can we get over it? This is a great analogy to love that drives us to obedience. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go, I'll walk through fire for my kid. Who wouldn't do that? If your kid's over there and they're in, and they're in danger, what are you going to do? You're going to go get them, right? doesn't matter if it's a Mack truck coming. You'd rather push them out of the way and get run over. Why? That's what love looks like. Love is sacrificial. Uh, hello? That's how you know you have love. If you're just a false, faking, phony, professing Christian, you'd never do that. You live for yourself. You're egocentric, just like the ship of fools, Right? He's trying to deliver you from that to this. Hmm. Yeah. Love drives us to obedience. Obeying God's commands, though challenging, and maybe even painful at times, isn't burdensome because we see the big picture, which is that love reigns supreme in this universe, and it's the hatred spewed out by the kingdom of darkness that dampens the light of God's truth. In other words, up here on the board, and his commandments are not burdensome. We love our Lord so much that obedience becomes a privilege, not a chore. That's where we're going. That's where we want to be. That just knowing what he wants, what do you say? He says, Paul said, whether I'm here on earth or up in heaven, I just want to be pleasing to the Lord. Whether I'm absent or face-to-face, -face, I just want to be pleasing to my Lord. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? How did these apostles, how did the, the vast majority of them, how were they martyred? They chose death 
over life just because they wouldn't denounce Christ. What? That's, yeah. We love our Lord so much that obedience becomes a privilege, not a chore. And that is a big turnaround for a lot of people because in our flesh we're born to think of commandments as chores, as burdensome. But not when you love. Here was our previous conclusion. I'll go quickly because these are we've seen these several times now. Again, we're just coming out of the mind shaft, collecting our thoughts, taking our time. To Paul, obedience was the key to sanctification. We used Romans, remember that? Obedience of faith to establish that. You can't head in that direction. You can't be on this vector that leads to ultimate sanctification if you're not obedient, if you don't obey his commands. Again, up here on the board, when we're obedient, we're confident. This is wonderful to know. Anyone or anything that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically thrown out of our lives. You're getting a sense of this this morning, are you not? From a shepherd who actually loves you, who's trying to protect you. Anything or anyone that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically, not kind of, not softly, throw it the hell out. Get rid of it. It's not good for you. Jesus taught vehemently on the identification and ejection of evil in our lives. In fact, he spoke very plainly about the eternal nature of sin and disobedience. Think about what we read earlier about the sons of disobedience in Ephesians. That describe uh, unbelievers, of course, the sons of disobedience. Jesus didn't hold back with that. He was compassionate towards the lost because he came to seek and to save. But he never compromised. He said, this is what's going on. If you remain in your sins, you go to hell. You're not covered. You die in your sins. Sin, by definition, is disobeying God's will. We know this. And sin, when lust give birth, gives birth, leads to death. That's James 1.15. In other words, the vector leads away from him. So I hope you see the ecosystem in view. Again, up on the board, when we're obedient, we're confident anyone or anything that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically thrown out of our lives. And I'm going to say something here that I guess I'm probably as guilty as anyone, hopefully not anymore. But here's the thing. You ready? This is when you know you've really kind of grown up in Christ. You might have to throw yourself the hell out of somebody else's life because you're the problem. You don't have the strength to be around a certain person without failing. You have to take yourself out of the equation. You can't shut your mouth long enough. You don't have the wherewithal to be compassionate enough towards a certain person. And some of you are like, yeah, that happened to me this Christmas. I was doing good, and then they irritated me, and poof, incendiary. There was a fire, you know, putting out the fire, you know, the, the brooms in the old days. I'm sorry, right? You might be the problem. You might not even think you're the problem. What if you, what if you know? What if you know? You're not doing anything wrong, like Paul would say about eating, right? You're not doing anything wrong, but you might be the problem for someone else who's weak. Right? I'm being serious. Like, you might have to use that kind of strength. I've done it. I've done it in this congregation. I've removed myself from certain people's lives on purpose 
so that they wouldn't stumble. That's what happens when you're this good looking. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Jeez, everybody's like, oh, what's she talking about? Oh, just trying to do this, will you? I have to say stupid stuff like that. Right? Because everybody's like, all tight. It's just another thought, isn't it? You might be that person. Do you understand what I'm saying? You might have to remove yourself from someone else's life because they're weak or they're young in the faith. They don't have the strength to withstand a certain stumbling, temptation. I don't know what, it, what the problem is, but something. You might have to be the bigger believer. Yeah. All right, let's go, let's go quickly. Go to Mark 9.43. 9.43. Don't be sending me emails either. You're not that good looking. DJ, <laughs> hey, for the record, dude. <laughs> you got to have fun, people. At the end of the day, loosen up. Laughter is medicine for the soul, right? Mark 9.43. Now, this is Jesus, right? Not Pastor Ed. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. How? Doesn't mean literal. Okay? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And when he's saying enter into life, he's talking about eternal life, right? And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's some pretty strong language, is it not? Yeah. What's the point? Up here on the board. Anyone or anything that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically thrown out of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. What's the point this morning? And I've got to finish up here because we're getting close. Presuming none, of us, or presuming none of us are going to hell, I'm going to take it from that position. What's the point? The point is simple. Love inspires us to kick out disobedience from our lives. That's what it is. I don't want to do, I don't want to be displeasing to my Lord. I want to do things that are pleasing to Him. And notice I said, from our lives not just from sinning now and then not that old game we all play and say well I'm going to confess this and this and this and this and put that on a shelf I'm going to go back to my life and live in sin because my thoughts are still perverted let's say no 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 our lives kick disobedience out of our lives that implies something different. That implies all the way down to the root cause of things. Why are we still sinning? Because our motivation is bad. Why is our motivation bad? Because our affections are misplaced. How'd that happen? Because we got distracted. See, I just went in the reverse direction from the beginning. Right? We get distracted, our affections, boom, boom, next thing you know, you're living a life that's not godly. And he's, the Spirit's trying to break you from those chains. 
So it's from our lives, not just from sinning now and then. The idea is much bigger than just sinning now and then. On par with that passage we noted at the start of class up here on the board, Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Big picture, the best use of your time. Your time basically is the same thing as saying your life. You have 24 hours a day, that's your life, right? Make the best use of all of it. Don't have little pockets of little, you know, oh, I sinned, so I'll confess this, and I'll confess, and then, you know, you do a little check marks and think there's like some kind of quota. Oh, I hit my quota. Confess ten times today. God's happy with me. That's pleasing. No, 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 that's terrible. That's religion. That's a terrible motivation. This is the big picture perspective the Spirit's been developing in us over the past few years, and especially with this series. He's essentially instructing us on how to live out our lives here on earth, given this is nothing but a temporal existence anyways. I mean, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years, whatever. That's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. He's also saying that doing so results in myriad blessings that we might categorize twofold as follows up here on the board. Just think about this. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I will do that. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, uh, then we'll read the passage and I'll close. Okay? How about the two good sides of obedience? How about this? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, blessings that accompany obedience. These are promises. God says, you obey, you are blessed. Okay. How about riddance of the fruit of disobedience? So there's a positive and negative, right? Think of a cup. Your cup is filled with disobedience. For obedience to come in, disobedience has to go out. So not only are you gaining the blessings from obedience, you're jettisoning the fruit of disobedience, the pain, the suffering, the anxiety, the insecurity, the lack of confidence, all those things that are outside of the sphere of God. Isn't that beautiful? You don't just get things in addition. You don't get to keep all that crap. You don't just say, all right, I gotta, all right this is the way I was born. I'm just going to keep these things, right? And I'm going to add to the pile of stuff. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. No. The Bible says you can get rid of that stuff. The good stuff's going to squeeze out the old stuff. Squeeze it right out. There's only so, many, there's only so much time in a day, right? Fill your life with good things. Guess what? There's no time left for the ugly things. That's what's beautiful about obedience. There's two sides of it. Okay, go to Galatians 5.19 and we'll close. Galatians 5.19. <clears throat> Galatians 5:19. So you get to get rid of this stuff. <laughs> How about this? So I'm really like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope none of you into some of this stuff seriously. <sighs> All right. Galatians 5:19. Now the works of the flesh. These are the things you get to get rid of. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Some of you could stop right there and go, that's the dominant feature in my life. I don't know. Could be. In America, probably not unlikely. I would argue that's probably, what's the other one, DJ, maybe? Idol money? Yeah, I would say, yeah, but I think, I don't know. 
That's a toss-up. I think money and sexual immorality are probably the two big ones. But anyways, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Some of you, I, I hate to say that, but you go to Christmas, you go to Christmas gathering, all you do is just ripe with jealousy, or someone's jealous of you, and you don't eject yourself the right way, like I was saying before. All you do is carry on about how awesome you are and how great your life is and how you know amazing your life is and how it's this and that and the other, and the other person's like, my God, I can't stand you. <laughs> right? Why? Because that's the flesh. I just want to assert that I'm better than you. Right? Isn't that what Facebook is? You get your little avatar. Look at my happy little life. This is me in Mexico, right? This is me in so-and-so. This is me with my, my, um, you know, my new cat. Right? Look how beautiful it is. This is me with my new pug. My pug is awesome. Doesn't have any hip dysplasia like yours. Doesn't have any nose issues. Right? Just saying. Just throwing it out there. I'm praying for you. I'm praying from up here. Yeah, I'm going to go on a limb and say that's going to make somebody stumble. But that's us. We're gross, right? Amen? Happy Sunday. <laughs> Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, now we turn the corner, so you get rid of all that stuff, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What does the New American say? Let us walk by the Spirit? Yeah, same thing. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amen? This is what, the, this is what we're learning, folks. This is awesome. Wouldn't you much rather have this kind of a lesson? Something that gets somebody like, no, no, I came here to be... <laughs> this is awesome. He's stripping the chains. He's breaking the chains before your eyes. Some of you came in here weighed down instead of uplifted. Something happened over Christmas break. You got weighed down. Maybe it was the jealousy thing. Maybe it was the, the I don't know, the, some other perversion or something that didn't look anything like Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Somehow you got distracted and found yourself in some kind of a sinful estate. He's trying to break those chains. He's like, I just want you to abide in my love. I, I just want you to follow my command. I just want you to obey. And, and none of it's burdensome. It's beautiful. I've been here my whole existence. I'm inviting you in. Let's go. Does that make sense? That's all he's trying to do. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for never holding punches. Thank you for always coming up front and clean with us, Father, so that we might be delivered to your glory. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes in the privacy of our own souls. 
then with our families, and then possibly at your will out to a world that's just decaying. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.